directed towards your worldview. So I'll say that my worldview, I think if I would be able to put it into a box, if that's what we'd like to do, and say that I'm, uh, I, I'm really appealed to the ideas of Buddhism. Um, Buddhism has four noble truths, and one of these is the truth of dukkha, or suffering. This is a very basic tenet in the Buddhist uh, philosophy. Um, Buddhism says that suffering is essentially the root of the human condition, and suffering is present all the time until we can overcome it. Suffering is caused by desire, and it's really that simple. That's the world that we live in. We suffer because of desire. existence of evil in this world can be, uh, or has been explained in uh, a couple different ways by the Christian uh, history. Uh, I'll go through the two major ones right now. The first being the, uh, the evil is the antecedent of good. It's the not directly created thing by God, but rather just the absence of God. Uh, St. Augustine put this together. He said that evil is, to God, as dark as to light. Dark is not an actual physically created thing, but simply the absence of light. Same with cold to heat. Cold's not a real thing, just the word we use to describe the absence of heat. Uh, you can also think of evil as the, uh, the allowable opposite of good, so that good could exist. Uh, just the same way that uh, you know God allowed there to be a left for there to be a right, or not for there to be a down and black for there to be a white. Um, and of course, it's also possible, thinking of this, that God uses evil, um, or allowed evil, I should say, so that we could grow through the struggle that, that it uh, births. It could be a mixture of these two. It could be neither. We're not exactly sure, to be honest, of the nature of truth. Unfortunately, it has nothing to do when it comes to the existence of God, uh, which this argument often does. Um, it's impossible to really say... Um, God exists because of evils like this. We don't know for sure, um, and no, neither is anybody else. So um, it's a little bit beyond um, our logic, but we have to kind of throw that out. However, whatever the nature, the Bible is quite clear in its origins, and I would agree with uh, what, what um, Ryan had said here, and that it's, it's quite obviously selfish desire is what allowed evil to come into this world and be a part of our lives. Um, it, the Bible makes that perfectly clear, uh, both with uh, Satan, Lucifer being the original, um, and then, of course, Adam and Eve um, trying to gain the wisdom of God and, and usurp him um, by eating the tree fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So God, perfectly omnipotent and sovereign, can still, however, uh, use his will through, through evil, uh, which we have allowed to come into our lives in this world um, for his good purposes. And the Bible makes that perfectly clear as well. In John 16, 33, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that, it, uh, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Uh, again, in, John, uh, or, excuse me, in Genesis 50, 20, it says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done to save you of many lives. So, I mean, every single person in this, in this room has experienced the, the hurt and the pain that comes from evil that is in this world. That's undeniable. Um, but the Bible makes it clear that God can still work through that. If we're allowed to let him, he can still give us the comfort and the purpose that he desired in our life. Okay, I'll leave it there. Good. Thank you, Ryan. Evil does not exist outside of the human experience. <laughs> we don't describe a lion killing the cubs of his rivals as evil, or a galaxy being gobbled up by, the, by a black hole from the inside as evil, or a swale that drowns a sailor as evil. This is because evil is a human construct that we made to describe human behavior. Uh, evil is shorthand that we use to describe very bad things that humans do to each other. There's a branch of mathematics called game theory that's devoted entirely to understanding winning strategies for different situations. And if we had about eight hours and you all had a basic knowledge of recursive al algorithm, I could go into it and explain <laughs> where things like malice and ill will come from. But we don't have that time, so I'll segue into my 
Pot, the Spanish Inquisition, the American Revolutionaries, Julius Caesar, the Crusaders, Mother Teresa, the Axis and the Alliance of World War II, and Nelson Mandela all have in common. <coughs> they all had a great deal of certainty. Now, some of them we would describe as good, and some of them we would describe as evil. But they all had a great deal of certainty, and they were all sure that what they were doing was good. Certainty is an emotion, however. It doesn't mean that you have a monopoly on truth. And a lot of evil has come from certainty. No evil ever comes from stepping back and examining what you've got. When someone comes to you and says, I have the truth, you're not going to cause any harm to anyone by taking the time to examine where they got that truth from, but by just following blindly, a multitude of evils can result. We will now allow each panel one minute to respond initially to the philosopher's panel. So maybe should we start with the religious panel? Um, one minute to respond to the philosophers, and then we'll take secular humanist response. Okay, so that'll be next. Afterwards. Right. I, I totally... Um, I, don't, I don't know if we had any disagreements. You're talking about it being a result of selfishness. I'll, I'll agree, totally agree with that, yeah. that, yeah, the Bible says that man is sinful, and that basically means that man is selfish. We do our own thing. I think if you disagree with that, you're just uh, missing the human experience. We've all been selfish. We've all wronged each other, and we've all thought thoughts a lot eviler or more evil than we're willing to admit. Guys, if, if we try to pretend like this issue of evil does not exist, we're contrary to our own conscience. And we can't do that. So I agree, yeah, it is a result of our selfishness. But I would go further and say, I can't fix it. If any of you guys have been able to fix your own evil, tell me all about it. Because I found out from my experience it doesn't work, okay? Jesus provided an answer that makes sense. And it's experientially relevant. I'll leave it at that because I'm sure we'll discuss it later. But yeah, we agree. It's a result of selfishness. Uh, 30 sec if the philosophy panel wants 30 seconds to respond to that, then let's give them that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, one minute for a secular humanist to the philosopher's initial statement. I would say, um, for, for one, that uh, there are tenets of Buddhism, like many other religions, that I find very attractive and useful. Um, but that doesn't mean that I am certain that Buddhism or Christianity or any of these other useful doctrines are the only truth. Um, so, you know, I don't have to, to beg the question and choose just one. I don't know yet. Uh, could it be true that the only one of these is correct? Sure. But as to can we be certain? I don't think so. That's, that's my only response. We have, we have an evolutionary... Uh, yes, the philosopher's turn to respond oh, to that if they oh, want to. Okay. Yeah. statement. 
Thank you. Okay, now we're going to take responses to the next panel. That's responses to the Christian panel. So either of the first two um, panels has a minute to respond to what the Christian panel said. Um, Should. Yeah. I would say, in fact, I would reiterate that, that evil from our worldview, or at least personally my worldview, is it's a human construct. It's a byproduct of our evolutionary process. We evolved huge brains that recognize patterns, and that's been vital to our survival. It's how we've made it this far. Through that process, we've also got a consciousness <coughs> that we don't really know how to use. It doesn't come with an instruction manual. So we'll recognize patterns that we see in nature or in society, and we'll try to create reasons for them. And what we've done with that is create good and evil. <coughs> when you really look at that, we created the notion of what is good and what is evil. So if we created it in the first place, we should have control over how we define it and what we do with it today. Jesus hasn't helped you completely expunge evil from your life. Part of our pattern-seeking brains is that if someone tells us something is going to work, we think that it works. If someone tells you that holding your pen in a certain way is going to eliminate evil from your life, and they're really certain, that's going to make you believe that that's going to help. But the proof is in the pudding, and Christians haven't really proven that they've been able to avoid doing evil things. One minute. One minute. Uh, 30, 30 seconds. Any of you, can, can any of you name uh, anybody that's killed more people than Stalin, a devout humanist? Or... <laughs> that's totally not, that's not, uh, that's a low blow. But anyway, you guys, evil, you guys have talked a lot about evil in the name of God. What about evil in the name of Godlessness, which has been tremendous, you know? And, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. You can't avoid the question of evil. And are you okay with killing infants? There is a wrong, and we know it in our heart. I'm not okay with just killing an infant. You aren't either. Okay, you've seen my baby. You're not okay with killing her. Uh... Do you have the answers? You guys, molecules alone are not conscious, moral, or logical. Something in the universe, beyond the universe itself, gives us this sense of, of morality that we are not willing to go over or supersede. You know evil exists. Muggridge put it this way, the depravity of man is at once the most empirically verifiable reality, while at the same time the most intellectually resisted fact. And he's going to quote that again, so you'll get it then. That's a good place to, to end your response right now. <laughs> The philosophy panel has a chance to respond if you want to. I think evil is just the label we slap on our problems we don't want to deal with. Rather than actually look into them and get to I mean, you're never going to solve them. Absolutely, like anything you try and get good at, you'll never be good enough. There's always something to work against. It's the same with evil. But I think we as people just slap the label of evil on something and avoid dealing with it. Like killing babies. That's something we want to avoid. I hope we can we'll move on to the audience real soon here. Real quick point. Did you know that, that a certain point of human fetus has, a, has both gills and a tail? Are you sure it's a baby? Okay, we're now going to take responses to the secular humanist opening statement on this question. Were they ref were they refuting our argument there just now? No, Sorry. I was just addressing. No, no, no. Okay. The philosophy oh, just no, no. no, I think we're good. No. I, I think we're good. We should okay. just move on. Okay. Yeah. Really, the sooner we get to audience, the better. But we do want to allow 
the panel's a chance to now respond to the secular humanist opening two-minute statement. If anyone can remember what those points were. were responding I already tried to do that. <laughs> okay, that's fine. I think we're good. Unless you want to give me well, more I time. Think, I think oh, that, you will with the audience. Though. I think that um, one thing, I, I don't know where this came up or when we had to get to answer it, but <laughs> um, you guys had mentioned how Jesus hasn't wiped out all evil in the world. And just like I mentioned, we don't, you know, the, the nature of evil exactly is, is ambiguous, and the Bible doesn't spell it out. But again, the point that the Bible tries to make is here's a way to, uh, to heal the, the wounds that come yeah. from that evil. Despite its nature, just, you know, Jesus never said, ABC, evil's gone. Your life is perfect. That wasn't the point of it. The point was, um, you know, to talk about it, it, eternal um, redemption with God. But um, more to the point, that the point, the point that the Bible makes with evil is God is willing to to make it good. And he's, if you're willing to work with Him, then He'll He'll turn it to His good purpose. Um, so you don't have to deal with the suffering that it causes. But what happens if you don't work with Him? <laughs> so you have thirty well, seconds. If you want to here, make a statement. You're gonna certainty that belief in Jesus will fix the problem and that Christianity will fix the problem has prevented us from seeking the creative solutions that helped us get out of the dark ages. In addition to that, Stalin, his atheism was a symptom of his communism. That's not where his ideology derived from. He had a lot of certainty in communism and a lot of communist... And his atheism. And his humanism. Uh, No. (laughs) Killing people is not humanism. Okay, let's open it up to the audience. We'll have about 10 minutes to take questions. I think yes. maybe Zach had your hand um, up first. My question's for Ronnie. You said, uh, like, like black, black is a product of God, as well as white, kind of for experience. And then you were kind of relating that to uh, how evil is a product of God. And I, my question is, if evil is a product of God and God is omnipotent and benevolent, then wouldn't evil serve some positive purpose in the eyes of God, one which I think to not be more devalued than that of good? Right. Um, well, well, the point of that was, and again, this is just speculation that's come out of Christian history. Uh, these aren't biblical principles necessarily, but um, basically that it was that evil is the absence of good, just like darkness is the absence of light. Um, but God absolutely can use it. Um, it is not beyond his, his power. It's not like he's like, oh, there's evil, too bad, I can't do anything. Um, you know, he, he can use it, and he desires to use it to work for the good in our lives that he desired for us, he intended for us. So um, absolutely he can use it, um, and, I, and he wants to. He desires to use it for good. He, he doesn't want to see us suffer. Um, uh, coming out of biblical principle, of course, is my worldview, um, the biblical, Bible's worldview. Um, but they, he wants to use that for our good. And he doesn't cause it. Yeah, he doesn't think. But he can it, use but. it once it's there. God uses okay. evil as a tool? No. Oh. I think, though, that when we do evil with our own free choice, God can turn it around for good. So why doesn't he? He does very often. He, he does. Some of the worst things that have happened to me turned out for some of, some of the best good in my life. I can talk about you about that all you want later. Okay, we'll take the next question. I think Cassie had her hand up over there. Uh, 
Let's say 30 right. seconds per yeah. panel so we don't go too long on this. It's kind of like what I said. I think evil is just a label we slap on him and don't want to deal with. to the secular humanist panel. Do any of you want to think it was I have something to say, but it's... <laughs> is it an answer to the question? Well, yeah, it has to do with... Okay. From, from a Christian perspective, evil is whatever doesn't measure up to God's character. God is good, God is holy, God is righteous, God is perfect. Whenever something doesn't measure up to that, including myself, that's evil. And G.K. Chesterton answered this question in the survey in England to what is the problem with the world. He, he won the survey contest with a two-answer survey. He said, I am. And I ultimately have to deal with that in my own life, you know, because I know that there is wrong here. Every one of us knows that. Next question. Uh, I think you've had your hand up an awfully long time. <laughs> um, my question is, I guess I've kind of got two questions, if that's legal at all. Otherwise, the first question is <laughs> the, uh, the um, it has to do with um, this idea of evil and good. Uh, how do you think, um, I guess in my opinion, uh, the perception of good and evil causes a duality in man, where you take one half of ourselves, you know, and, and find it uh, righteous, you know, and, and, and we define it thus by some arbitrary morality, um, which in this case would be God, okay, or Jesus, or, you know, the Bible. Um, and so... My concern, um, when you look at something as evil and good, no, no, no matter how you look at it, despite your gods, despite your beliefs, uh, what what are you to do with that side of you? You know, how is it to be bettered and improved? That it's because you avoid it, because you call it evil, because you try to remove it from yourself, you deny it in yourself, and therefore it 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 it, 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 it sinks in and is never uh, you know taken control of, is never uh, um, crops, you know, or Better, um, ah, so, is that directed to us? Yes. <clears throat> well, G the Bible tells me that Jesus was tempted in every way, just as I have been. No other religious figure ever did that. And what's great is it says that for every temptation, he's provided a way out. And what I love is I'm not in charge of fixing my own sin problem. When I, when I surrender my life to Christ, I am effectively surrendering control of the sin issue and the evil issue to him. And I'm allowing him to take over control and change me from the inside out and make me the kind of person he wants me to be. So you're essentially giving up on any idea of trying to improve yourself. Even Not at all. There's a goal, but I've known... There's a goal, but I know that my own processes have not got me there. But Christ in me makes that possible. And I would just say, try it. Why do you choose to blame the microwave instead of the creator? 
Oh, absolutely. <laughs> no, that, that's, you're, I'm going to uh, just extrapolate to where you're extrapolating. You're assuming that if God knows everything, how does he allow evil to, to exist in this world? Yeah, and that's, that's a fundamental misunderstanding of God, though. God, if he is God, he has to be superior to both time and space, gravity, all these natural laws. If he's God, he created those. So he's outside of time. So for me, right, from my perspective, God knows the future. From God's perspective, the present, the past, and the future are simultaneous. So I have perfect free choice. He has perfect sovereignty. They're both united, understanding that he is outside physical human constraints. So I have a free will. I can do stupid things to hurt people. God does not want that, nor did he plan it, nor did he foresee it in his perspective, although he did from mine. Does that make sense? Let's take What's the, the next question. Foreseeing and planning? <laughs> uh, hang on. We'll do another question. Uh, I think there was a hand up over here. Yes. Um, so you guys both openly acknowledge that there is a problem of evil that uh, plays our world. How, and this, the ministry, ministers touched on a little bit, but how, what is proposed from the secular human side, uh, how to overcome how to, how to tackle the problem? Well, first we've got to get people believing in the same kind of reality. And I'll touch on that later. Proselytizing. <laughs> I mean, with, if, when you say that, there's so many different cultures and you can't just... Exactly. Imagine. Well, you look at certain cultures, like Christianity for one, that believe that there will be an apocalypse where all life will be wiped out and the chosen ones will be taken to heaven and raptured away. That's not a good thing for our future. If we have people believing that the problems in the world really just could be a symptom of God burning us all, they're not, they're going to lose some of their motivation to tackle those problems. Especially when their worldview tells them that as long as they have the right relationship with God and Jesus and lead a sinless life, that's kind of the goal of everything. And there, there is, I'm not going to totally harp on you guys because there is, there are parts in the Bible where they, it's not all selfish and stuff like that. But it caused, causes kind of a stagnation in the, in the uh, I guess, the zeitgeist. That's, that's not and, uh, answering the question at all. What I'm trying to get at is that in the, with the Bible there is yeah. the Ten Commandments. On yeah. I can say, um, thou shalt not steal and all this, you know, what is Who decides what's right and wrong, and who decides when to change it? We do. And, and well, if you look to the sort collectively as a, as a democracy, and we're we're all going to agree on these things? Well, it'll take some work, but yeah. <laughs> but if you notice, that leads you to our next question. We're going to introduce the next major question for us to address because I think it actually uh, will goes right into this. Yeah. Third question is this one: Is God essential for the existence of objective moral standards and objective morality? And if not, what is? What else could moral truth be based on other than God's dictate? And this time we're beginning with the Christian panel, then we'll rotate. Okay, um, 
Right. Um, is God necessary for an objective moral truth? Um, there are many differing schools of thought on ethics today. Um, among the most common are utilitarianism, logic or reason, hedonism, existentialism, and pragmatism. Um, all of these break down at some point. Um, Kant proposed this. Pretend you're living in Nazi Germany and you're harboring a hundred Jewish people. When a Nazi soldier knocks on your door and asks if you, are har if you are harboring any fugitives, can you lie to the officer, knowing that the officer is going to exterminate the Jews? Logic says yes. Utilitarianism says no. Let's change the example a bit. What if the Nazi officer seizes your daughter and demands to turn her over, or, excuse me, seizes your daughter and threatens to rape and torture her unless you turn over the fugitives which you're harboring? What's the utilitarian to do then? The problem is that the utilitarian is looking for the greatest amount of good for the most amount of people, and he really values his daughter more than he values the hundred people in his house. The existentialist is, um, I'm sorry, the, the uh, well, let's just move on to this. Um, all, everything is going to break down, logic is going to break down, all these viewpoints break down when given a correct example, which is going to set them up to break down, even logic. Uh, Ravi Zacharias uses this example. Have you ever been sitting in a car at a stoplight, and you feel as if you're moving backwards, and you, and you step on the brake, and nothing changes. You still feel as if you're moving backwards. So you start frantically looking around for something that tells you that you're not moving backwards, and when you see a stoplight, when you see the stoplight or a street sign or something that is unmovable, you realize that you're not moving, it was just the cars all around you that were moving. Similar, similarly, in morality, because we cannot um, judge on our own what is, what is good, we need an objective standard. Objective morality, by definition, means something from outside humanity, something that comes and, and defines a standard, whether, for example, murder is wrong despite what we feel. That is two minutes. Thank you. Um, no, we're going to do, uh, each panel gets a two-minute <coughs> two statement, and then we'll do responses. Thank you. Okay, I would have to say, uh, first, that God could turn out to be the source of moral objectivity, or God could be subject to something larger. So we have to think of all the possibilities, like a mechanism based upon survival. I don't know. Um, the existence of a God does not necessitate that they are the moral authority. So God, in terms of morality, could be good in and of itself, or, they could, or there could be moral grounding, uh, no moral grounding whatsoever. Uh, and morality may be a human construct of more evil, like we were talking about earlier. So yes, it could turn out that God is an objective, a moral authority, but God does not have to exist for that, for there to be objective morality. So what replaces God? I would say, simply put, uh, not God, uh, nothing, <laughs> or a personal, uh, personally a subjective approach of treating a person as having inherent value for, pos for possibly my strongest backbone. So they have a certain, certain worth to them. Um, and this tenet of morality is congruent with many moral doctrines, religions, including Christianity. But my certainty as to which one of them is objective, uh, I don't know. 
I'd say we can't know for certain. So when you beg the question that God, or even further, a specific God is the source of objectivity, then you eliminate your ability to find any other possibility. So I am willing to admit that I am wrong, and I would gladly do so, because I am, I know for certain, because ultimately wrong, wrong brings me one step closer to the truth or objectivity, if in fact that exists. So, you know, I, I don't know whether, whether objective morality exists, but I do know whether or not it does not take uh, God for it to exist. Okay, thank you. Um, said, no, you don't need God to have a moral objectivity because it seems like it always comes down to self-interest whether or not there's a God or not. The only reason, or at least if you looked at it from a self-interest side of view, it's like you're only being nice to people and being a good person because that's getting you into heaven. Or if you take away the whole heaven and biblical aspects, it's like it's in your best interest to be a good person. Because then you bring about good things from you, just but from your relations to other people. So I'd say morality always comes back to self-interest and not some objective truth. And also, anytime you act in a self-sacrificing way, it's ultimately for your own self-interest and self-betterment on some level or another. So I don't think you need God because people act however they want to, whether or not they believe in Him or not. I guess I would just have to add real quickly that <clears throat> if a God does exist, then uh, maybe indeed she is the absolute source of objective morality. I, I did say she. Um, um, but that's not necessary because as, um, as <coughs> Robert pointed out, um, there are a lot of other schools of uh, moral philosophy that are based on a, many different uh, foundations. Utilitarianism appeals to human happiness. Um, care ethics appear, appeals to compassion and the, the relationships that human beings have between one another. Uh, Kant's deontology appear, appeals to our own rational capacity and, and logic. So there are, while God could be the root of an objective morality, which I do believe exists, I don't think that it, he, he or she necessarily has to be the root of that morality. Thank you. We will give each panel a minute to respond to, to the opening statement. So the religion panel gave the first opening statement, so that means the other two panels can respond first. If you want to. They, they didn't really say anything. You guys didn't really give much of a position to rebut. You just cited a bunch of different philosophical schools of thought and then left us hanging um, as where you, which one you chose and which one where you stood. I've, I've heard that the idea from most Christians is that we get our morals from the Bible. But if you look at morals, they're defined specifically as a code of ethics, a code for life. And if you look at the way that most Christians exist nowadays, they actually reject most of the codes that are in the Bible. And there are a lot that come out of the Old Testament, that, and so I'm not being totally fair, because many, many of Christianity's morals come out of the New Testament, but there, there are, there's a habit of cherry-picking our morals. We keep the thou shalt not kill, and love thy neighbor, and we throw out the stone the adulterers. The fact that we can do that, and that we cherry pick our morals, means that we have something in us, and I would call it intuition, that says, these are good ones to keep. 
these are bad ones that we don't need, they're important and we should throw them away. We have, a, we have clear evolutionary evidence for why we would form more. That's a minute. Let's uh -huh. let the religion panel respond. You'll have a chance still. To... All right, so this is our 30 second response to that. Okay, Jesus, Jesus took all moral truths to, not, to another level. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. And he actually said, you know, the Old Testament has this older code. We have a new code now that Jesus brought in. The Old Testament said, don't commit adultery. Jesus took that to the next level. He says, don't even lust after a woman. It's not loving to do that. You're committing adultery with her in your heart. The Old Testament said, don't murder. Jesus took that to the next level. He says, don't even hate your brother. Right? If you hate your brother, you're obviously not loving your brother. It's just like murder in God's eyes. So Jesus summarized the whole law in this, in this precious law of love, which I know I violate and you violate every day. Right? And so we need a Savior. That's just a short response. Okay. Can, I, Good. can I ask you a question? Um, do you think it's a contradiction that uh, the sixth uh, commandment is, you shall not kill? But in uh, Genesis 38.10... God slew someone because he was displeased. In Leviticus 24.13, God told Moses to have the congregation stoned to death any man who blasphemes the Lord. And then in the New Testament, in Acts 12.23, uh, immediately because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. So God himself, man, and the angels have all violated this Word of God. Okay, so just look at history to see how evil Herod was. Honestly, the guy killed his wife, his mother-in-law, his sons. You know, I mean, the guy was bad. But here's the deal. God, no, honestly, guys, God creates life. God can take life. I don't create life. I cannot take life. So when God tells me, don't take a life, he has every right in the world to tell me that because he created it in the first place. He, however, having created life, can do it. Yeah, we're not quite there yet. He, having created life, can okay. take it at his discretion. And that's okay. part of being God, right? <laughs> the philosophy panel gets a minute to um, respond to the religion panel, if you choose to. I think, um, I thought it was a really good way to start out by identifying these various traditional schools, at least in philosophical mm -hmm. thought, that um, we use as moral guidelines. Um, and I thought it was interesting, the, um, the allegory of kind of being at a stoplight um, however, respectfully, I'd have to disagree with it because it seems to indicate that we could somehow reduce all other moral schools to being that fundamentally something rooted as a result of God's will, which um, to me is not compelling. Um, but I thought that nonetheless, uh, highlighting all of those various moral schools was, was a, a good decision to take. I think for the sake of time, we're just going to okay. You don't get to respond. We do want to allow at least a minute to, for panels to respond then to the next uh, panel, which was the secular humanist. So do either of these two panels want to say something in response to the secular humanist? I'd love to. Uh, <laughs> no moral theory gives unanimous answers, you guys. And we can't just convince everybody that our way is right. Otherwise... We wouldn't be killing more people every year than we did the year before. If no arguments can get us all on the same page, they are insufficient. We need an outside source, an outside standard. Uh, how does a philosophy that says we don't know where we ultimately came from, we don't know why we're here, we don't know what is wrong, and we don't know what happens next, how does that help any of us? Uh, what's its value and why, and why can't it just change the next time we feel like it? 
right? It's all so subjective. In a godless universe, where, you, where do you arrive at morals that are absolute? It's impossible. Molecules don't have morals, okay? And all those philosophical worldviews, they do fall short. Fifteen philosophers using logic will come up with 15 different conclusions. Okay, 15 existentialists will come up with 15 different conclusions. That's the reality of the universe we're in. Problems aren't easy to solve. I believe we need an outside standard, like that stop sign we look at. I believe that standard is Jesus Christ. Just because we don't have a moral philosophy yet that explains everything and gives consistent answers does not mean that we won't find one or that we can't be found. Also saying that molecules don't have morals is a composition fallacy. <laughs> molecules don't have a pulse. Molecules don't have eyes. We're made of all molecules. We have a pulse. We have eyes. Oh, <laughs> no, is anybody in this room. I've lived almost half my life outside the, the, the U.S. And there are a lot of different moral um, beliefs that I've observed and watched. And none of them come to any solutions other than Christ. Name one law that Christ gave that has caused bad in the world. 
I just threw it out there. And if we all loved our neighbors as ourselves, loved our enemies, would the world be a good place or a bad place? I mean, he hit the nail on the head 2,000 years ago. And I don't see room for improvement. But if you do, let's talk about it. Next question. Well, now C.S. Lewis, and I've read this, uh, your Christianity talks about that, how you know, different cultures have uh, different moralities, but really at the base, they are all very similar. You know, they all sort of share the same tenets. Um, and you know, how does that happen? Well, he, he, he of course says, you know, because it's God. God is in us. You know, and God. Uh, of course, I, I don't quite buy by that. But um, sorry, my personal monologue. The question is, uh, is actually to philosophy and secular humanist group. Um, uh, the Christian group here has um, is very certain about things that are very hard to be certain about, and they call that faith. Uh, what is it though that you two groups um, believe in? Have a foundation? You know, what do you have faith in? Okay, where is your foundation for moral beliefs? I have two things that I have faith in. Uh, I have faith that logic works. If we don't have if we don't have logic, then up is down, black is white, left is yellow. We really don't have <laughs> anything to work with without a foundation of logic. And I don't really have a foundation for that logic. It's kind of circular. I know it's ironic. I, I also believe that what I am sensing is roughly accurate. I could be a brain in a jar somewhere. There could be an evil demon controlling what's going in. That was what Descartes was all about. But once you have those two things, once you have logic and sensation, you, use, you can use science, the scientific method, to build on that. And the scientific method has proven itself pretty well. You know, fluorescent lights are a lot better than candles. You're all sitting on wonderful chairs made of metal, metallurgy, a science, synthetic fibers everywhere, these bricks, a lot of science went into finding out how much bricks can support so the roof isn't falling down on our head. Science has proven itself again and again, and if it stops working, we'll throw it out. So just a clarification, your uh, faith is in uh, logic, but also in the way you perceive logic, so your subjective perception of I, I, have, I have to assume that logic works. Let's let philosophy respond to that as well. The question was to both panels, so do the philosophers want to say something? <laughs> was that typical <laughs> philosophy response. <laughs>
swayed in the direction of that, at this point, imaginary perfect moral doctrine. Eventually, uh, I think that evolution would win out and those people who were pig-headedly stuck in their dogma Is that a little the contrary hominin? die off. <laughs> okay, that question was directed to all three panels, I think. So let's, yeah, so let's see if, the, if either of the other panels wants to respond to that. Yeah, I just, okay, go. <clears throat> I just want to make sure I know that I'm, you're asking that if there really was um, one one true moral guideline, if you know, why is it that we don't all kind of come to that same understanding at some point? Is that uh, kind of interesting? Well, I'm just saying, if you were saying that we haven't found the answer yet, I'm saying if there were now or say one come, there's one way that you think everybody would go that way. Or when some people reject it, just like people reject But you can't get two people to agree on a lot of issues. Um, you know, I think that if, if there was one right way, I think it's one of those things that most people would, would be able to understand and see and recognize. But despite that, we see this all the time, there are people that still deny that anybody ever walked on the moon and there's conspiracy theories about this or that. So there will always be people that will want to discount something no matter how much evidence there is for it, which is unfortunate. But I think that as time progresses and we develop our systems of thought a little bit more, um, we can kind of uh, come closer to perhaps having some sort of uh, more stable basis of our knowledge. I, and I'd say no <coughs> immediately, but more what Ryan's saying, like eventually you get closer and closer, but I think any, just personally in your own life, anytime you have to deal with like having the courage to face the truth about something, it takes, it's really confronting. Mm -hmm. And so if we're really talking about an absolute truth on the level that you could assume an absolute truth, that would be the most confronting thing that you've ever experienced. And I don't think a lot of people could deal with it. Let's let the religion panel respond to this question as well. Okay, I just want to know, as long as Christians give up certainty in what they believe, in favor of certainty and humanist principles, everything will be fine. That's a little uh, ad hominem. But anyway, I want to <laughs> say, yeah, you, you guys, solve problem, solving problems requires mutual respect. So let's deal with the issues. Ultimately, guys, uh, we're never going to get everybody on the universe on the same page with anything. I think we have uh, several thousand years of human history to prove that point. We need something far greater than ourselves. And uh, I don't think we've been able to come up with it on our own. And I think history proves that point. Besides the utopian society, could it be possible that conflicting views may be necessary or even viewed as good? I think that's a really good point. Yeah, that's a good point. Really, without it, we have growth. That's Let's try to deal with one more main question tonight. Um, and we're going to have to do it in a detailed fashion. We'll give each panel a chance, a two-minute a two uh time for a statement, and then I think we should turn directly to interaction with the audience. The fourth question, the fourth main question we want to try to deal with tonight is this. Is religion a good thing, either for society or the individual? We're rotating through uh, which panel begin, so we're back to the secular humanist panel. Okay. Um, religions define realities for their be believers. 
Fear of hell and eternal fear of hell and eternal suffering is a reality for Christians. Being considered one of God's chosen people is a reality for Jews. Martyrdom is the defense of Islam, and the rewards the act brings are a reality for Muslims. Most of the beliefs contained within religions are absolute. Many of those same beliefs are very strong vehicles for intolerance. If your beliefs do not mesh with a specific religion you happen to be facing, facing at any given time, you are automatically considered to be an outsider. Many different names exist for this kind of outsider. Heretic, sinner, heathen, infidel, they all describe the same thing. In every religion there exist instructions for how to treat these outsiders. Most of these instructions prescribe stoning, burning, or some other form of unpleasant capital punishment. What does it take to be an outsider? Simply not holding the same beliefs would suffice. Not holding the same beliefs is grounds to get you killed in some parts of the world. Religion, by its very nature, is one of the most divisive forces humans have conceived of today. It allows us to be completely intolerant of our fellow human beings and then justify our actions as the word of God. This can be seen all over the world. Humans killing other humans because they worship the wrong deity. In a postmodern world that values tolerance and social relativism, it has become in vogue to celebrate diversity, so long as you don't point out why people are different. This kind of blind tolerance allows the, the intolerance that religion perpetrates to continue. When our nation votes to deny homosexuals the same basic rights that other, that other citizens enjoy, are we really free? The kind of person who would vote against another's freedom without having good evidence to substantiate that decision is normally known as a bigot. Why, don't we, why do we suddenly tolerate that decision if it has a religious backing? Aren't we just giving discrimination without good evidence a free pass? These kinds of questions need to be at the heart of our intellectual discourse, or I fear we may never truly be free. We need to realize that by celebrating religious freedom and tolerating everyone's beliefs equally, we're letting our guards down and allowing some of the most intolerant gar garbage to permeate our society. We need to take a stand and stop tolerating who believe in, in intolerance without evidence. Thank you. Philosophy, Tom? I'd say yes and no. There are good parts to every religion and bad parts. I mean, the morals you can't deny, but the parts where you push it on other people and force it, something on people they don't understand isn't good by any means, even if, even if you think it's for their own good. So I don't think you could say an absolute yes or no. It's too great. I think I'm also going to say it could be yes or no, but I mean, I, I, say, that, I say that lightheartedly because, you know, in, in, in contemporary times and historically, religion has left us with an, a wide array of things, you know, people commonly point to things like the Spanish Inquisition is saying one of the darkest kinds of things that religion has ever left us, but you could also look and say that the Montessori kitchen in Durango serves food to homeless people and they do it in the name of Jesus Christ. So needless to say, there's a lot of good things that come out of religion, and not just any one religion, I would say, even the religions that um, in the Western world we look at with such scathing eyes. If you look hard enough, I think that there's a jewel of knowledge to be found in any of them. And the best that we can hope to do is take from those, uh, my, my perspective, again, I'll, I'll clarify this, I don't want to represent any group by saying this, but my perspective is that if we can look at these various religions and philosophies and pull from them the things that are most helpful to us, that's really what will most benefit us whenever it comes down to hoping to see a better tomorrow, I think. And when, the, when there's times when religion is what has to be relied on to make the world grow and become a more equitable place for people, that's what we have to do. But we also have to be willing to 
stop and identify when religious dogmatism becomes a root of division among people. Thank you. All right, Christians like to stand, so. <laughs> Just get up to project a little more. Uh, it's, it's almost impossible to deny, and probably yeah, exactly impossible, that, that terrible things have been done in the name of religion and God. There's no denying that. However, it is a tenet of philosophy, as I'm sure you can attest to, that you do not judge a philosophy by its abuse. I'll say again, do not judge a philosophy by its abuse. When Jesus said, love your neighbors yourself, and I profess to follow Jesus as a Christian, which is what the word means, and I go and kill my neighbor, obviously you're not really being a Christian, you're not really following it. So do not judge a religion by its abuse. Do not judge a philosophy by its abuse. Certainly don't judge Christ's teachings by its abuse, to be more specific. So what I'd like to do is set up true Christianity, then, and what it's really saying. In uh, James 1.27, it says, A religion that God our Father accepts as pure and flawless is this, to look after widows and orphans in their distress. Matthew 22, Jesus is asked what the greatest commandment is. Uh, he says, first is love, your God, is love the Lord your God. Second, I'll quote here. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these commandments. Uh, Matthew 5, Jesus again says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Um, and this is over and over again. Christ's message, and I, I use the word Christ to remind you of the word Christian, because the, name, the meaning of that word is the followers of Christ and his teachings. Um, Christ taught a message of love, one of of absolute tolerance, loving the, the out bigots, the outsiders, secular humanists, uh, uh, homosexuals. He taught us to love those people because God loves those people. He said that God created humanity just the same way as loving parents create children, to have a, a fulfilling, loving relationship that fulfills and completes and satisfies both parties. And unfortunately, as we discussed, um, humans have kind of fallen out of that perfect um, that perfect relationship. And so God has been trying to reconcile it uh, throughout human history. That's the message that Christ taught. And he, he taught that just like a loving parent, God loves all everybody, all his children, everybody. And he tells us to love them the same. And unfortunately, Christians are also people, and they're imperfect, and they don't always follow that, and horrible things have come from that. But that's the whole point, um, is that we're imperfect, that we're evil, that we need this reconciliation with God. Um, again, that, that's, that's just the basics of Christ's uh, teaching, and what he told us to do. So if we're following um, Christ's teaching, we're, if we're following his message of love, and, um, and, and actual selfless, um, where you actually care about the other person, not just doing it for your own selfish gain. Um, an actual self-sacrifice, because um, just as God loves that person, uh, person A, B, C, or X, then you should also love them um, to show them God's love to them as well. Um, so I guess, I don't even know where my time is. That's a minute. Okay. Um, well, I guess the last question, that if I may, it's two seconds. Um, I, I would just posit, can any example be given of correctly applied Christianity um, that resulted in harm or devastation? I, I can't really think of any. Again, correctly applied um, not the abuse. But again, they were abusing it. They, they weren't showing love to the people. Yeah, okay, okay, I have to say that. Okay. Questions okay. from the audience. We have ten minutes left in tonight's uh, session. We'll use that for questions from the audience. Uh, yes. Um, personally, I do believe that religion does have a lot of positive attributes it can offer to humanity. Um, what my, and my question will be directed towards uh, Christians. Is, in your personal opinion, Christianity the best or the one way or the most salvific um, and by that meaning uh, the one way to salvation um, as opposed to any other? Uh, Good. <coughs> Short answer, 30 seconds. That's a great way. Uh, yes, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. And I honestly believe Jesus set that up in such a way that we had to go right or left. And by doing so, he gave us a mechanism. He said, man is sinful and separated from God. Okay? But God loves us so much that he gave his own son to die for our sins, to pay the penalty of the wrong that each of us have done. Now I can accept that free gift 
from him that forgiveness for my sins, and I can experience the life that, he's, that he wants for me here on this earth and an eternity with him in heaven. Now that is Christ's command. He said, it's me and nobody else. So if I'm a Christian, I have to take him at his word. And if I'm not a Christian, I have to evaluate what he said, I think. Next question. Let's take one over here. I think you can back have your hand up first. Yeah, yeah. yeah great. Right, I, I kind of have two questions, so I'll try and make them fast. Um, but kind of as uh, the question was posed to you before, Brendan, um, you mentioned that we don't know if we've found morality yet. And I like how you put logic behind it. And if we look at the statistics, it shows that more and more people are getting killed every single year, like Nathan mentioned before. And science says that entropy is growing, so everything's getting more and more disorganized. So wouldn't the logic behind that say that possibly we're never going to find morality, that it doesn't exist? And so then, in order to fix our problem of this disorder, wouldn't it be more logical to kill off say, the Christians, the philosophy club. Yeah. So that way there's, I mean, there's only two left, Should and there's no that. longer any problem. To me, it seems like that if you look at pure logic and how everything's going, that's, that's what it would lead to. But the first part, more and more people are getting killed every year. Uh, Nate brought up Stalin as the biggest killer ever. The reason for that is very simple. There are a lot more people to kill now. <laughs> if you have a small country that's fairly, where the people are fairly spread out, the biggest war that they can have can only kill a few people. And if you look back in history, uh, there's a linguist, uh, Stephen Pinker, who looked back at crime statistics and murder statistics stretching way back, and he found that the level of crime and murder, violent crime and murder, has plummeted immensely, so much that he had to show it on a logarithmic graph, because it just tanked right to the bottom and flatlined when you look at it at, at, from a standpoint of however many per thousand people. The entropy issue, the randomness isn't really a good description of entropy. It's a good way to describe it if you're talking to an eighth grader, Really, it's loss of ability to do work, and randomness, it, it works a lot of the time as a description. I don't think that that applies to humans. Uh, and uh, as was mentioned before, we're not even in a closed system, so that doesn't apply to us. Uh, as for killing off everyone who disagrees with me, yes, that would probably work. <laughs> I know I'm not for it. A lot of people have tried it before, and it's always ended very poorly. <laughs> Thank you. Next, next question. Can I ask the second part of my question just real quick? It, if it, is it quick? Yeah, it's real quick. I, it's not even necessarily a question. For Colin, um, you, you kind of, when you first, that last question, you started addressing religion and kind of how religion has kind of almost seen led people in wrong ways and everything. Um, but I don't think that you can deny that secular humanism isn't a religion, um, especially if you're talking about state and the government. In a, a case of Tarcaso versus Watkins, it was a U.S. court case that labeled secular humanism in a category as religion, a non-believing, a non-God-believing religion, but it's still a religion. Also, if you call the IRS, the secular humanism group of America is titled as a church status so they can have their tax exemption. So even in that sense, they're a religious group. And Charles Francis research. If it helps, I didn't want to call it the secular humanism club. <laughs> I, I'm just saying, 
because we kind of, I think you guys it's, are kind of... Where I come from is a rejection of what you're calling religions. I don't think we need them. I think we have a much better system today and we've been using to get everything. The religions that helped us in the infancy of our societal growth are just kind of, they're hanging around now. We don't have any use. We've used science to, to discount many of the claims. We know the world isn't flat. We know that sin doesn't cause diseases. We know that, uh, I don't know, we're pretty sure that, that virgins can't give birth. Although they did do an experiment, or they, they, have, <laughs> they have discovered in a scientific way that that could happen. It would require a lot of really, really crazy stuff, but yes, women I think my biggest point is address Christians, you can address Christianity, um, but I think um, as kind of, we can address you guys as the Fort Lewis Secular Humanism Group, but I think if, I mean, if you are going to call yourself that, you have to take it as the whole nations of secular humanism, just as... Okay, we're going to go on to the question over here. Thank you. Maybe we'll change your name. I'm not Aaron. Absolutely. Well, every, I think every worldview has some aspect of truth, but not the fullness of it. And there is only one way, guys. How many things happen when you jump off a cliff? You die. Gravity works one way all the time. It does, it's not based on my perception of gravity, or my religious thoughts about gravity, or my ideas about gravity. And so if there is a physical reality about the universe, what are the spiritual realities of the universe? And I would expect those to be 100% the same all the time. And I believe those are found in Jesus. But other religions might have aspects of those, absolutely. The Quran talks about Jesus often. Yeah, what would you say about the uh, like startling similarities between Jesus Christ and other deities from the past, like Horus, who was uh, around <laughs> thousands of years before okay. Jesus? Um, and I'll just name a few of these, because they're pretty, pretty ridiculous. He was originally said to be born on January 6th, and later in the celebration on December 25th. He was baptized at age 30, was conceived by a virgin. He was taken to the desert in Amatheta and tempted by his rival... Sut, um, or Satan, um, he performed a sermon on the mount. He walked on water, cast demons out, healed the sick, restored sight, and stilled the sea by his power. And that's a quote. Um, his birth was also announced by angels telling his mother to flee. Um, and his birth was heralded by the star Sirius, which is also considered the North Star. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I loved it. Okay, that list that you just came, that list that you just gave, and I want you guys to hear this, came from one lady in one book. And Egyptologists say that maybe four of those claims are even based anywhere in Egyptology. And of those, they're very much changed. Like the virgin birth, Osiris was Horus's brother, who happened to be a falcon. We're not even talking about a historical figure. Well, no, it's really but wait, really I'm answering the question. It's said to be. It's said to be both his. It's said to be both his brother. Okay. Oftentimes it's said to be his father, and oftentimes so I wouldn't believe the text either. I agree with you. But, but here's, here's what I want to say. The virgin birth, just to illustrate some of the, the problems with it. Well, it's Osiris killed Horus's father. So Horus's mother, wanting another child, put the pieces together because Osiris chopped them up into hundreds of pieces. And literally, not to be crass here, okay, but had sex with a pieced-together penis from a cut-up father and got pregnant and had Horus. I mean, whether or not that's anything similar to the virgin birth account of Christ is, 
is debatable. But uh, like I was saying, like I was saying, this is this is Egyptian myth talking about a falcon god, and this is not a historical figure that historians outside the Bible described and talked about. And like I said, only three or four of those statements are even found in Egyptology. A lot of them, people don't even know where this woman got them. But just a We've, I've had this discussion with Colin, and he said he should have done more than Google it, which I would suggest you do too. Well, so, I done let's go on. <laughs> let's go on. How about we have time for another question tonight? Someone on this side, and someone who hasn't spoken yet. Okay. You in blue? I think you had your hand up first, and you haven't asked a question yet, right? Yeah, yeah. I got a question. You're saying, um, you know, if there's only one way. I'm kind of like that. That's a great question. Romans is a book in the Bible. Chapter 2, chapter 4, and chapter 5 all say that man will be judged based on what we know, what we you know, based on our understanding of things. And uh, specifically, Acts says that there's no name given under heaven by which we must be saved other than Jesus. Jesus said, tying this together, that he would draw all men unto himself, every one of us. Okay, so I don't know how he accomplishes that end, but I know he does. I've actually, I showed pictures today to uh, Coulter. I've traveled in Nepal and seen an entire village of Christians that came to Christ because a baby girl for the first two years of her life said nothing but Jesus. I've met her. I have a picture of her on this computer. I'll show it to you afterwards. He's capable of reaching people even when nobody's gone. Uh, I trust that to him. Does that make sense? Uh, that's his problem, not mine. I'm going to do the best I can to share with people his message. But ultimately, um, he's, he's not going to leave anyone out without them choosing that direction. Does that make sense? Everyone will stand before God, and no one will be able to say, I had no other option. I have no excuse. On that hopeful note, <laughs> let's, let's draw tonight's meeting to a close. Officially. 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 Okay, so if people want to stay and talk, that's fine, but let's officially I end love it. it. And yeah. thank you all for coming. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for coming.